A good advisor will connect you to other trusted professionals in that advisor's network. Lawyers, CPAs, you know, practice management consultants, bookkeepers, other real estate, you know, any of the questions that you are going to ask that have to do with the dollar of your money, these are things that a good advisor will help with. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. For this week's episode, I'm sharing a presentation, which I recently gave to a pain fellowship explaining the financial landscape, describing different advisory compensation mechanisms, and trying to equip physicians to pick the right financial advisor for them, as well as understand, based on their own personality, what type of model of financial advice is a good fit. There's a lot of great advisors out there, and unfortunately, I think a lot of financial advisors, the the industry in general gets a bad rap, but there's something really valuable in good, wise financial counsel. And I think many doctors would benefit from it. So if you are a physician who thinks that you could be interested in hiring a financial advisor, today's content will help describe how to find someone who's the right fit. What I want to do this morning is equip you to find good help as physicians. And it's likely that most of you are going to make significant amounts of money throughout the course of your career. And it may be that some or perhaps all of you should, based on your circumstances and your personality and your aptitude, some of you will benefit from working with an expert at different times and in different ways. And I want to describe to you this morning the different options that exist and help to make sure that you land in good hands. I am a financial advisor with this company, APM Wealth, as in a fee-only capacity. That means no commissions. We're going to talk about that model today. I also have this podcast. This is me and my wife, Sarah. She's an anesthesiologist out here in Portland. That's Calvin, our little guy, about to turn two. So I recently saw this headline that I wanted to share in Becker's Spine. And by the way, I love the Becker's newsletter. I get this to my inbox in several different versions every day. And I I was curious. I clicked on it because I wanted to see what physicians were saying about financial advice. And there was this guy, Dr. Alex Vaccaro, who's actually in Philadelphia, the president of the Rothman Institute. I was in Philly for a long, long time. And I am aware of Dr. Vaccaro just from being in the same region. He said this in this interview. They said, you know, what's the worst decision you could make was the, the prompt. And he said, the worst decision I've made is listening to financial advisors. When he entered practice, he believed that they had his best interest at heart and he was influenced by them in a, to the negative, essentially. So I, I found it surprising or at least interesting that he would describe the biggest mistake he's made in his career as listening to a financial advisor. That prompted me to wonder, holy cow, what the heck did this advisor tell him to do that it's the biggest mistake he ever made? And it made me a little sad knowing that he was, it sounds like taken advantage of. It also made me a little sad knowing that he's encouraging whole generations of physicians after him that talking to a professional financial person is a bad idea. So we wanna talk this morning about the different types of advisors out there 
You may recognize these guys. The guy on the left is Gordon Gekko from the movie Wall Street. <laughs> and on the right, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio. So financial advisors have this reputation, according to Dr. Vaccaro and according to Hollywood. And I'm curious, I'll just open up the mic for a second and see, has anybody worked with an advisor before? And what are the things that come to mind when you think about financial advisor? Good feedback, generically helpful. Anybody else want to add anything? So we'll keep it moving. There's a lot of questions that you're going to want to answer as you think about if an advisor is right for you. And I want to unpack some of these today and help you find someone that is a good fit if, in fact, you decide that you're one of these people that wants to work with an advisor. And I would break the physician cohort and generally any anyone in life down into these three categories. Basically, you've got your do-it-yourselfers who are like, I'm going to do every part of many things in my life myself, and including handle my financial affairs, investments, some tax planning, etc. The second option would be a more intermediate approach, which would say, I'm going to have an expert look at my circumstances every now and then, maybe for on an hourly basis or do a limited scope engagement and say, do a, a financial plan in air quotes for me. And as part of that, you know, you can make some tweaks based on that feedback, but then you're doing it yourself sort of in the interim. The third option is I want ongoing help making big decisions and I want someone who knows me and knows my family and understands my values, my vision and my trajectory as a professional and as an investor and someone who's going to help me the entire way. Everybody is one of these three. I want to describe sort of how these different options could play out for you and help you decide which one's the best fit. So here's what we're going to talk about. There's a lot of jargon out there in the financial industry. I'm going to hopefully minimize the use of it or explain it. I want to talk about what does it look like to work with a good financial advisor. I want to talk about how advisors get paid because when you understand the money, you understand the incentive of what they're trying to do and then help you find someone qualified if you decide you want to. Advisors are going to be asking for your trust. You may remember this famous scene, <laughs> Aladdin on the flying carpet asking Jasmine to step off that balcony. This is a nerve wracking thing to step off that balcony with your finances and you want to make sure you're doing it with the right advisor. So a word about the different terms that we're going to use this morning and also that the industry uses. The financial industry is relatively unregulated in this area about what advisors call themselves. There's a lot of words used interchangeably. Here's a list of some of them. Advisor, financial planner, asset manager, wealth advisor, personal, advi personal financial planner, etc. So you should basically assume that whatever they call themselves is just that. It's a self-designated term that may or may not mean that they're any different from anyone else. But what I want to do this morning is teach you how to understand the difference in caliber, the difference in role between these different professionals. First, let's talk about Follow the Money. So one of my favorite movies, uh, All the President's Men, the story of Watergate, President Nixon and the, you know, the scandal from the Republican National Convention breaking into the Democratic National Headquarters. These two journalists are breaking this story. They're meeting their top secret source in the basement of this parking garage. The source, you know, they go to him for guidance and the source says, follow the money. There's, you know, bags of cash changing hands from one of the president's chief of staff. Follow the money. Understand who's getting paid for what. And when you understand that, you'll understand the incentive of the parties involved. 
medicine is the same, <laughs> financial advice is the same in much of the world. This is just how the world operates. In the financial realm, if you understand what your advisor is incentivized to do, getting paid to do, you can in many cases understand what types of advice are you going to receive from them and then you can evaluate is that the, the type of advice that I want. So as it relates to following the money, I always recommend using what's called a fee-only advisor. Fee-only is a technical industry term that refers to someone who earns zero commissions. So there's no commissionable products on which they will get paid. What this means is they're paid only by their clients. There's no fee model that's fully void of conflicts of interest, but this one, in my opinion, does the best job of being transparent and minimizing and navigating those conflicts. So if you're gonna pick somebody, I would advise finding someone that's fee only and you can ask them, are you fee only? And are you willing to, you know, there, there's other sort of ways you can determine this that, that we'll talk about in a second. So if on some random Friday night, you walked into a cocktail party with a hundred financial advisors, <laughs> this may or may not be a cocktail party you would enjoy. You might think that sounds terrible, but somewhere between one and three of those advisors on a percentage basis would be fee only. So this is a, I'm talking about a very small minority of advisors. And it's good to be aware of that, to know that this is what you're getting into is something that is, you're looking for, I don't wanna say the needle in the haystack, but something a little bit more in that direction. So don't assume that everyone is like this because very few are. So one of the questions that is sometimes asked is, Justin, I hear what you're saying. Sounds great, fee only, good, alignment of incentive, transparent compensation. Why are there only one to 3% of advisors that are like this? A couple of reasons is <laughs> they don't have much lobbying power. They don't have big budgets. These are in many cases, small businesses and small independent companies. And one of the headwinds being fee only is means there's tri price transparency. Another sort of medical corollary question is like, why is the cash pay portion of the payer mix such a small percentage of people who get medical treatment? Like, well, when price is transparent, then you know what you're paying and you know if you want to pay for it. But it's in many cases, it's just hard to figure out how much you're going to pay. In financial advice, it's not super different. Many advisors don't even know how the total all-in cost to a consumer of their services if there are commissions involved, if they're not fee only. So related question, does that mean I should never, ever, ever talk to anybody who's not fee only and issue them and look at them like they have the plague and totally avoid them? Like, well, not, not usually. This is a kind of complex question. There are expert advisors in all different fee models. And I'm going to talk about what are those different fee models in a minute. It's important to understand the fee structure. There are some advisors who have been in the industry for a long time, especially, who you know, the fee-only realm is a little bit newer, probably the last couple decades. So if you have an advisor you're talking to who's 50, 60 years old, it, it may be that when they came in the industry, the fee-only option was just not even really in existence. <laughs> and so it's more a function of their age than their desire to do the right thing. So as long as you understand the different models, then you can understand what the landscape looks like. So let's talk about working with a good financial advisor. What can you expect are they going to be a, a generalist who only can add little bits of incremental value or someone who can perhaps transform your personal finances for the better? Here's what you can expect. 
a good advisor will connect you to other trusted professionals in that advisor's network. Lawyers, CPAs, you know, practice management consultants, bookkeepers, other real estate, you know, any of the questions that you are going to ask that have to do with the dollar of your money, these are things that a good advisor will help with. Providing technical expertise to answer specific questions, keeping your taxes low, helping to monitor a strategy that you agree upon with that advisor, making sure you don't blow yourself up by selling or buying at the wrong time or throwing all your money into Tesla, investing your money in a way that is in accordance with your risk tolerance, communicating within, especially between spouses, coordinating between your professional team, keeping an eye out to say, what are the things that can totally blow up your financial plan? And are we protecting against those? And then providing general feedback and advice. A good advisor is going to do all of these things. And it's going to be customized based on your situation. If you're not getting all these things, I would argue that you're not working with someone who's the best option for you. Most of the benefits are going to fall into these three categories. They're going to save you time. They're going to give you specific technical insight that you couldn't have on your own, even through research in most cases. And then they're going to shorten the lead time on getting connected to those trusted experts and also make it so that you don't have to do your own due diligence in finding those experts. And then giving you big picture feedback so you don't run around like your hair's on fire. So at baseline for the do-it-yourselfer, here is what your life looks like in coordinating between different professional service providers. A good advisor is going to do this. They are going to wrangle all those cats for you. They're going to distill important information and they're going to communicate it to you at a pace that you can receive and in a way that is understandable to you, filtering through all the crap and sharing with you only relevant details, helping you understand the context of what these different advisors are saying. So this is, you can understand this is where you get your time back. <laughs> you're talking to one person, not seven, and you're getting the distilled important principles and not just any time that anybody wants to talk to you, whatever they think is important. So let's talk about how advisors get paid. Follow the money, obviously. Wherever there's lack of transparency, there's lack of cost control. Healthcare is another classic example. You know, if we look at wherever consumers have the least idea how much they're paying, in general, what we find is that that's what's costing employers and costing the patients themselves the most. If you don't understand where the exchange of value is coming and you're getting quote unquote free help, the advice is most likely a sales pitch that's going to eventually transition to some sort of commissionable product. If I had to guess, I would look at the quote from Dr. Vaccaro and say, he probably got advice that was quote unquote free advice that was, hey, I looked at your situation here's what you need. You need to buy this product and buy that investment. And those perhaps were not the best thing. And it sounds like he got taken advantage of in that circumstance. There are good advisors in every compensation model. I want to reemphasize that because this is not like a, a witch hunt <laughs> to say anybody who's not fee only is bad. But there are some business models that are just more conflicted than others. So at a high level, here's the three models. You got your commission model, Sometimes these people don't call themselves advisors. Sometimes they do, but I would say they're essentially a salesperson paid to sell financial products, insurance policies, long-term disability, life insurance, whole life insurance, annuities. A good commission salesperson will give you that product-specific expertise. Sometimes you can't even get 
a certain product without working with somebody who makes a commission. So commissions are not bad, but they are the most conflicted because it's a sales process, a sales event. Whenever you sign on the dotted line for that type of insurance policy, for example, that commission is going into that agent's pocket at that moment. And then, you know, they're going to get, for example, 100% of the first year premium as a commission. So if you pay $6,000 for a long-term disability policy, that advisor, that uh, commission salesperson is making $6,000 in that moment. And then the trail, quote unquote, which is the ongoing payment from that policy is very low. It's something like five to 15% per year. So the incentive for this advisor is to sell and not to service. Not They don't care you know, if you call them after three years and ask them about, can you help me with my student loans or if I should buy a house or help me to grow my investments? They're not getting paid for that. They're paying to sell. So just understanding that is going to understand help you understand the advice you might get from someone in that model. Usually this is an insurance company. So any names with like mutual or life in them can be a good indicator for if this is an insurance-based advisor. And those tend to be a little less objective in my experience. You also have no idea how much the advisor is going to make. If you ask them, sometimes they don't even know themselves. So remember, less transparency tends to be more cost. So then there's the middle of the spectrum, what I would call a fee-based advisor, also known as fee and commission. So this is going to be a combination of the ability to sell a policy or a product as well as perhaps billing based on a percentage of assets that they manage. There's probably some fee transparency on the non-commissioned business, meaning if this type of advisor manages a million dollars at 1%, that's $10,000 a year of fee business. And then if they also sell a couple insurance policies, they're also getting compensation on those policies. So the fee business, we can understand the cost, the policies less so. And if there's specific investments that have front-end loads or that are have sales commissions associated with those, that's usually, those fees are buried in a, a really thick disclosure document that many investors don't bother to read because of how thick it is, unfortunately. As we're moving down the spectrum of objectivity, that gets us to fee only. This is an advisor that could charge hourly flat fee or percent of managed assets. They can't earn commissions. There's no way they're not legally allowed. They're not licensed to sell any type of insurance policy, any type of front-end loaded mutual fund, which is a type of fund where when you buy into it, a certain percentage at the beginning goes straight to that advisor. Whenever they're using these types of products for their clients, they are working with, you know, I mentioned the Rolodex, the trusted professionals that a fee only advisor works with on all different fronts. They would have someone for insurance. They would have someone for other commissionable products if they were deemed appropriate. The compensation mechanism for the implementation of these is totally removed. You're paying the fee only advisor just to say, in your objective opinion, do I need this? Yes or no? And if yes, then that fee only advisor will connect you to a probably the first column, a commissioned salesperson who is an expert and the fee-only advisor will help the client vet the product presented by the commissioned salesperson and make sure that it's appropriate. Again, this model isn't without its own challenges in terms of conflicts of interest, but it's the best thing going in my opinion. So I've heard many people say, and this has been emphasized in the past, make sure you ask if they're a fiduciary. And I would say, Again, this is my personal opinion based on what's happening right now in the industry. Unfortunately, we're terrible at self-regulation. 
the financial regulatory bodies out there, they just don't enforce this well. And what I have found is that if we go back to this model, this description of the models, every single advisor in every single one of these silos will refer to themselves as a fiduciary advisor. And it, it gets down to the weeds as to whether or not that's ever true. I would argue that it's not. You would think that there's like a standard legal definition that if you meet it, then you are fiduciary. If you don't meet it, then you're not. What I generally encourage people, but but here's the fact of the matter. I've heard people who I know operate in this column <laughs> who have called themselves fiduciary on calls with clients of mine or in emails to clients of mine. And it really muddies the water. So there was a time when this was the right question. I say that that time is past. Really what you want to ask is, are you fee only? Are you someone who can legally accept commissions? Are you going to get paid by anyone except me? And if you are, then what that would tell me is there's another, there's another party, another entity for whom you're advocating. So fee only is the new fiduciary is what I like to say. So instead of asking, are you fiduciary? Because everyone will say yes. Just ask if you're fee only. So here's where we're going. Number four, how do you find a qualified advisor? If you decide this is something that's a good fit for you, how do you find that needle in the proverbial haystack? Here's some of the things you wanna consider. The expertise of the advisor, the cost of the engagement, the type of services that the advisor is going to provide for you, and the fit, which is a little bit more of an intangible, but very real and necessary component of selecting a financial advisor. Let's talk about expertise for a minute. You want to know that you're working with somebody who knows what the heck they're doing. In medicine, this is easy because we have the MDDO designations, we have board certifications for different specialties. It's much more regulated. Now you could argue that perhaps people make it through residency and maybe even fellowship and their clinical acumen is perhaps not what it should be, but there's a certain minimum threshold of training and of expertise and knowledge. You got to pass your boards, etc. In financial realm, unfortunately, it's much more, much more lumpy in terms of the advisory expertise, and it's not nearly as homogenous. I'm going to teach you how to figure out who knows what. So I'm curious, does anybody have a guess as to the minimum amount of training to be a financial advisor? Six years. That is a very charitable guess. And unfortunately, it's not three, it's not one, and it's literally not even three months. There is nothing, there is no regulatory minimum standard for someone to do this. They can decide tomorrow that they want to be a financial advisor. They can print up business cards that says, my name is John Smith, financial advisor. And there's no one to tell them that they can't say that. I was kind of shocked when I was researching this <laughs> to find that out, but that's what you're up against. There's actually a great John Oliver episode. I don't know if anyone knows John Oliver. Last week tonight is his, his show where he does these sort of exposés on different topics. He has an interesting one about financial advisors. If you watch that, you can get to the end and print up a little certificate at the end of his show that says like, I'm a financial advisor from the John Oliver School of Financial Advising. It's, it's, the bar is that low. <laughs> so that'll tell you a lot of the people out there knocking on your door, it might be their first month even thinking about, they just transitioned from being a car mechanic to being a financial advisor. Nothing against car mechanics, but they just don't have any financial background in most cases. So FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, is a consumer advocacy group that you would think would help 
consumers figure out <laughs> who knows what's going on and who doesn't. Unfortunately, there's 209 designations that are all listed on the FINRA website that are all quote unquote recognized. And they are, many of them have very, very little. Some of them have basically zero required education. So you can see all these things. And there's things like certified financial fiduciary on this list. I would see that. And if I was an uninitiated consumer, I would think, wow, that person, they're definitely, A, they're definitely a fiduciary and B, they definitely know what they're doing and have my best interest at heart. Unfortunately, this person is almost definitely not a fiduciary and they have, they probably have zero or minimal training required to call themselves that. <laughs> so there's only a couple of these designations that really matter. And I want to point them out to you. They're on this list of 209, but you can forget the other 205 once you know these. CFP, Certified Financial Planner. This is the gold standard of financial planning. It's basically the best that we have in financial advice. There's a minimum uh, service requirement. There's a an education minimum. And there's ongoing education. 30, I think it's 30 hours of continuing ed per year that are required to maintain the CFP. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean they're going to be amazing, but it means that they at least are trying hard. <laughs> CHFC, Chartered Financial Consultant, similar to the CFP in its scope and rigor. CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst, is an investment-focused designation. So people who are running ETFs and mutual funds, for example, they are in many cases CFAs. And then the CPA slash PFS, which is personal financial... Uh, Certified Public Accountant, which is a tax preparer and tax expert with the Personal Financial Specialist endorsement. This is an accountant that also has good personal financial savvy and could be trusted as a qualified advisor. So if you're going to work with someone, I recommend they should have at least one of these, if not more than one. And then you can forget about all those other designations that we saw on the last page. Here's some of the questions that you could ask if you want to understand expertise. Have you worked with clients like me? And how many and for how long? If you have a specific issue, I want to buy into a practice. I want to pay off half a million dollars in student loans. I want to dot, 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 whatever your thing is. How many people have you worked with in the past that have navigated that? Or what other experts does this advisor know that they can bring to the table to help you solve that problem? And then is an advisor familiar with your career trajectory as a physician, especially if you're going to be a business owning, practice owning physician, your debt to income profile, tax bracket, et cetera. Many advisors that work with the parents of people on this call are, are not attuned to the needs of physicians with growing careers and incomes and also the student debt burden. I mean, doc, here, here's the unfortunate reality. Every advisor is going to say they specialize in doctors because doctors make money. And if you're going to be an advisor, you need to work with people that make money. But the sad fact of the matter is very few advisors are really experts in the specific career questions faced by physicians. So don't assume that just because they say we specialize in doctors, don't assume that that's true you got to be a little more skeptical in your approach. You don't want to be the first person that this advisor is working with of a certain type and be the one on whom they learn. So let's talk about cost. How much should you expect to pay? There's a lot of different mechanisms that an advisor can get paid. Really, the most important thing is that you understand what that mechanism is and that the cost seems reasonable to you based on the value that you get. 
it varies based on what they're going to do for you. If you were doing hourly, 150 to 200 an hour would be a starting point, or four to $5,000 per year for ongoing help would be the starting point. If you want specialized expertise or you have complex problems, it can easily be multiples of this. And as someone who has been in the industry for 12 years now, and see, I've seen very expensive <laughs> advisory engagements that, in my opinion, which is admittedly not 100% objective, I've seen good value delivered for tens of thousands per year, hundreds of thousands per year. I, I think there are individuals and families who are well served by advisors and, and the tax and legal teams that are marshaled on their behalf, even at that significant price point. Because when you're making a lot and when your assets are worth a lot, mistakes are just very, very expensive. And so there can still be value even when it's expensive. But you got to figure out what's right for you based on what you want. Fee-only advisors, you're just going to have the price listed in almost all cases. Some fee-based advisors will explicitly list a part of their fees, but there can still be a commission component. For the insurance salespeople who, again, are still going to call themselves financial advisors, they're going to have probably, they're not going to know because their compensation is going to depend on which policy you buy from which carrier and what the riders are. And it's, they're not going to know until that commission check shows up in their checking account. Remember, free advice is a sales pitch, and it's not free. It can actually end up being the least free of all the options. In terms of scope of services, there's a couple different options. What I would call limited scope, which would be hourly or project-based with defined sort of guardrails, where we're going to answer certain questions and those questions only, usually build at an hourly fee times the number of hours. A one-time plan, which is going to look at everything, usually a flat rate for that plan, and then comprehensive ongoing, which can be billed in a couple different ways. If there's asset management, there it might be a percent of assets, or there might be a monthly or annual fee that is disclosed if you're working with a fee-only advisor, which again is what I recommend. So now let's talk about this intangible, the idea of fit. Do I like a person? Is this advisor the one? So one of my favorite movies, maybe some of you guys remember this one, Will Smith and Hitch. You want someone who's going to understand you. And it's not dissimilar from finding a significant other in certain ways because you want alignment with your values and your goals. You want someone who's going to support you in your priorities. This person is going to see <laughs> the, the ugly side of what's going on in your life if they're trustworthy and if you are willing to disclose that. At its best, an advisory relationship will be able to help speak to these issues because, you know, a lot of the clients I've worked with, especially in the marriage context, money is a stressor. Different perspectives on money is a stressor. And being able to have an expert facilitate those conversations and navigate those sticky discussions that are emotionally charged, related to values, and also relate like deeply personal, that's very important for your advisor to be able to do that. You want to work with someone to whom you can open up with these challenges and when things aren't going good, someone who can be there for you. If you're not comfortable with somebody seeing you at your worst, and I don't, not the very worst, obviously, but not comfortable handling your family challenges, then you should ask if they're really the one that you want to work with. So if we look at the three options again, here is kind of the way I would help you understand who you want to work with. If you're, if you find yourself as a full do-it-yourselfer, as I would call, 
you're probably still gonna use an accountant for taxes. I would recommend that everyone do that rather than something like TurboTax. Although under certain circumstances, TurboTax can still be okay if it's very, very, very simple. Unfortunately, you don't, you only know retrospectively if your case was simple. You're still gonna need a commissioned salesperson for getting insurance policies, life insurance, your long-term disability policy. It's, you can't get those policies without paying someone a commission just because that's how the insurance world works. And you're, you're gonna do all your own planning, coordination, et cetera. For some people that's right. The intermediate option, using an advisor for one-time help, the way that would look would be using a CPA and insurance professionals on an as-needed basis. Periodically, you're gonna have what I would call a sanity check. So maybe you work with an advisor to do one of those limited scope reviews. I have a specific question, I wanna to talk to an expert. Or it's been five years or three years and I wanna do what I would call the executive physical version of the personal financial checkup where they're gonna look at everything and just tell me what they think and then give me the playbook and then I'm gonna take it and implement it. You can save on cost here if you go this route versus the full blown working with someone ongoing, but you're obviously taking more of that work on yourself. Then there's the option number three, which I'll be honest, I, I think is a majority of physicians would fall into the third category just because you have the, the, you have limited time and you have assets and income to support professional help, not just in finances, but in every area of your life just the way you would outsource cleaning your house or mowing your lawn, I would consider this as another thing that could be outsourced. Your advisor is gonna serve as a liaison, make your life better by giving you back time, distilling information. This is gonna cost you the most in general. It might cost you less than a mistake potentially, and that's where some of the benefit comes in. But obviously, that, again, that's something you only know retrospectively and frankly is difficult to know in full anyway. So here's a couple of good resources if you said, Justin, I wanna find this mythical unicorn of a fee-only advisor, where should I go? One place you can start would be napfa.org. This is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Every advisor listed on this website is fee-only. XY Planning Network is a fee-only association of advisors that you can, you won't have to wade through people who have different fee models because they're all fee-only. You're gonna have a little more challenge with the expertise question on the XY website, just because it's some younger advisors and some of them are newer to the industry. And then whitecoatinvestor.com. Obviously, some of you are probably familiar. It's the physician-specific personal finance blog where there's a section of endorsed advisors. They're not all fee-only, but there is some minimal threshold of vetting that Dr. Jim Dolly, the guy who runs that blog, does on these advisors. And so you're better off picking someone from that list than throwing a dart or answering one of the spam emails that you get in your, you know, your hospital email address and saying, please help me. If you have a specific student loan question, there's a company called studentloanplanner.com. I used to consult for this company. I think they're excellent. They do fee-for-service student loan plans. So if you have a specific question about that specific part of your financial affairs, highly recommend checking them out. I also have this I didn't mention this earlier. I have this podcast, Anesthesia Pain Management Success. I have a resources page where I list all kinds of different resources for investments, cash flow tracking, practice management, and other personal financial tools. You can check that out if you are interested in a longer list of places to find help. I will now open the floor for questions. I'm trying to think about how to frame this. I, a good advisor is going to add a lot of value with financial planning questions. So I think outsourcing a portion of your investments 
to an advisor and allowing them to invest in their strategy is fine. I would say the most important part of the question for a physician is having a cohesive plan, understanding how much money they're making, how much is going to taxes, how much they're saving, if they have other goals, priorities, values that they want to reflect in their personal finances, and then all of the unique circumstances about home ownership, saving for education, buying into a practice, understanding the different nuances of the way they get paid from their employer. A good advisor should interact with all of that. So it is possible to work with an advisor and have them do just the investment sleeve of your personal finances. But frankly, the investments are the easy part. (laughs) So if you're paying an advisor to do just that, you're probably better served, in my opinion, outsourcing the investments to a low-cost solution like a Vanguard or Betterment. Betterment is a robo-advisor where you can have an automatically rebalanced, you know, 23 different ETFs that's globally diversified. You're better off doing that than paying an advisor more to do that investments only for you. Did that answer your question? I'm not sure I perfectly understood it. So feel free to feel free to correct me or ask a follow-up. We'll say there's like half a dozen major areas of personal financial planning that you're going to need help with. Investments is one of them. Retirement planning, taxes, insurance planning, estate planning, and other more qualitative and squishy considerations, but still significant ones. For the investment piece specifically, which means when I make money, that money's going to get invested in something with the hope that it's going to grow into the future. What is that something that I'm going to put my money into? And is that something appropriate based on my level of risk and how much, how nervous I get about stock market sell-offs and how long my time horizon is and what my partner or spouse, how my partner or spouse interacts with those same questions. So for that one question, that one section of personal financial planning that is only investments, to the exclusion of all the others, there are solutions where you can get that, just that, at a pretty low cost, like 20 basis points, 25 basis points, that's 0.2%. So if you opened a Betterment account, put $100,000 of Betterment, you can invest it there. You're going to pick your risk 1 to 10 with a moving slider. (laughs) 10 is super risky, 1 is super conservative. And then this robo allocator will put your money on an automated basis in the, the recipe that it deems optimal based on lots of historical research. And then your investments, quote unquote, will be to some extent automated and to some extent optimized. And that is probably like a 90th percentile good solution. So if you wanted someone to just, an advisor to just help with your investments, something like a betterment is an option. If you're saying, I don't care about the tax help, I don't care about the insurance help, I don't care about the other things an advisor would do, I just need the investment help. There are the investments are the most commoditized portion of financial planning. And so there are those options that would exist for someone who wanted to approach it in that way. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.